My name is JT Van Zandt. I'm a fly fishing guide on the Gulf Coast of Texas. Being on the water has always been the secret to unlocking my soul. I just feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in this life. And that feeling inspires deep thought and conversations with my clients, who are all of varied backgrounds. I truly enjoy sharing perspective on the human experience with folks I take fishing. Drifting, a Yeti Presents podcast, was created with the goal of capturing those candid conversations with people who inspire me and sharing them with an audience that has the same sort of restlessness and curiosity that I do. I have found that the best way to provide wisdom and hope for future generations is to learn from the folks that have blazed the trail before us and have made tough decisions in the pursuit of living an extraordinary life. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening to Drifting. One thing I can speak confidently on outside of fly fishing is country music. I consider myself a connoisseur. It's my favorite type of music when it's good and least favorite when it's bad. I can just feel it on my skin when it's real. I grew up in it and I'm not easily moved by anything besides the genuine article. I want to buy back the farm and bring my mom some wine. A line from The Hands of Time by Margot Price made my hair stand up. The honesty and subtle truth and pain of her early childhood bundled up in a simple line and set free to melody. I immediately liked her. I was stoked to run into Margot in Nashville and get to meet her and sit down. Talk about a cool girl. She was washing dishes and siding houses before her music was discovered. I'm telling you, she's the real deal. I asked about the line in the song, and yes, her family did lose the farm. Her dad went to work in a prison. She talked about how that changed him. She talked about the trouble she's gotten into. Nothing serious. No one got hurt. Just enough to add to her life experience as a predestined country singer. I'm sorry for the trouble she's seen, but her music has benefited greatly from her true story. She's found happiness and feels blessed. I love her songs and I love her style and what she stands for. I think she's beautiful in every way. It's so good to have you on the scene, Margot. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. Um, when, your, when your first album came out, it was like, thank God, like finally, you know? And all that you've gone through to get here it's supposed to kind of be that way, isn't it? For this type of music. Yeah, I think everything happens when it's supposed to happen, but I wish I could have told myself that, you know, 10... Along the way? Yeah, 10 years ago when <laughs> when I was drinking myself blind and, you know, just dealing with the rejection of uh, getting nowhere, but... In this town, you mean? Here, everywhere. <laughs> played, played shows to no one all across the world. <laughs> what was your, like, so, like, your great uncle, right, was a songwriter? Yeah, like, still is. Like he actually Jones just sent me a song this morning. Charlie Pride, which is just like. Yes, yeah, his name's uh, Bobby Fisher, and he's in his 80s now. And like I said this morning, he just sent me a song, and um, we email back and forth. And when you were young, was... Was it clear to you what he was doing and successful at it? Was he an inspiration? Yeah, we would uh, we would drive to Florida on family vacations and we would stop in Nashville every time and we'd stay in his nice house and look at his gold records and uh, it was cool. It was definitely T- inspiring. Tell me about your hometown a little bit. Someone was talking about a taco pizza place I should ask you about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Happy Joe's Taco Happy Joe's pizza. Taco Pizza. Who said to ask me that? That's incredible. Somebody at the Yeti Film Tour is a huge fan of yours and went to school with you. Oh, that's cool. I mean, he's just been texting me all day. Like, well, uh, tell whoever it is I said hi. I sure will. <laughs> I forgot his name, so it's yeah, just we'll a number. I'll out. have to ask him. Um, yeah, my hometown was uh, just a little speck of dust in the middle of a cornfield, you know, really, uh, there wasn't much there until um, the Walmart came. And, you know, obviously for worse, I think, looking at it now. but um, Shut all the small businesses down? Yeah, I mean, every time I go back, it's more and more is just shut down on the, the Main Street strip. And it used to have, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, hardware stores and, you know, antique stores and, 
um, they kept all their old building fronts. So it's, it's really, you know, it's like a time capsule of, uh, what it used to be, but. Are they all uh, vacant? A lot of them are. A lot of, a lot of the buildings are probably need to be torn down soon, you know, full of rats. Um, but there's, you know, and like I said, there's, so there's Walmart there now, there's a McDonald's, there's a gas station, there's a couple stoplights. What town are we talking about? It is uh, called Alito, Illinois. And can you sing the fight song from the high school? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I should be able to because I was a high school cheerleader for four years. Um, yeah, I can, but I don't want to. <laughs> I won't make you. So things were kind of cruising along normal. You grew up on a farm and then yeah. shit went bad and they took your farm. Yeah, my my father and his brothers and my and my grandfather and all of his brothers and their sons, they had a very successful farming business. I mean, um, when I was first born, like my you know, my my dad was doing very well. Um they had a boat and, you know, a, a nice house and um and everything was on the up and up and then, you know, the the farming crisis of the early eighties, it just all went away and I, I remember the day that um my grandparents like packed everything up. I just remember my grandma walking around crying and and giving. They had you know a bunch of animals that they were giving away, dogs and and obviously selling and so. How horrible! Yeah, it was. Um, it was you know sad, and it happened to you know so many families in that town, and there are still you know some farmers like holding on, but it's not easy, and you know with everything that we have going on, these, like, this buyout that's coming from the government, it's not even going to go to the small local farmers. It's going to go to the, the billionaire corporations, and we're going to be even more screwed then. Um, so it's, it's sad that, you know, it's only gotten worse since, since the 80s. You said your, your old man was never quite the same after that, which I can imagine. Yeah, he hates when I talk about him. He, he told me <laughs> one of the... One of the times I was home, he said, if anybody asks you about me, just tell him I'm dead. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a dark sense of humor, though. If you knew my dad, that's actually pretty funny. Okay, but. good. <laughs> but, yeah. The, I, I can just, relate to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, you know, my, my grandfather, and it, it just hurt them all. You know, they all had to kind of go um, just find whatever jobs they could. What were they growing? What was going on the farm? Uh, corn. Soybeans and cattle. Yeah. Bunch of acres? Yeah, a lot of acreage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now when you, when you go back, it's like you, you see uh, like all the, the corporate signs, agri-grow, and, all, and the, the corn doesn't even look like it used to. It's massive. It's, it's crazy that they're feeding it, you know, and then they feed it to the animals, and then, and then people eat the animals, and it's just it's creating so many problems that we can't even see. Yeah, I can't imagine because I've got some family property in Texas that my great grandfather bought about 300 acres and it's still there. I don't go out there as much as I should. Yeah. I go on a monthly basis. I feel really free and connected out there. Yeah, definitely. It's it's hard to to overstate just what a piece of family property means. So in reading up on your story, it's, it's really painful to hear that. My, my folks still have their house up there. It's on five acres. and um, Connected to the original farm? No, no, it's property. separate, yeah. Um, but, I mean, they, they fought really hard to keep the house that they bought, you know, when everything was going well. My, uh, my mom went back to school to get her teaching degree. She was teaching um, physical education, but then she went back and, you know, became a third-grade teacher, made, you know, still made a very menial salary. My dad went to work in um, the prison system, and um, so yeah, they they just worked very hard to. Is he retired now? Keep food on the table. Yeah, he is. All right, good. Yeah, that's no way to spend your years working in a prison. It's- yeah, bless his heart. I mean, in, in the they're right down the street. Like they could drive by it and see those corporate signs. It's just got to sting every time. Yeah, yeah. And my my grandparents had a home that was right on the edge of town. It was like they moved to town, but they moved to the last like house. And just out there, kitchen windows, the cornfields, and um, yeah, my grandpa would always just sit there in his in his blue work clothes or his Carhartts, and 
he always had the you know the radio on kind of soft what uh when did you realize you were going to be a songwriter yourself uh i started writing when i was very young but it was you know just like journaling and and poems and i don't know maybe i had you know written a couple like songs a cappella i think um probably at the age of seven or eight i just i always loved to sing and to entertain people and make people laugh <laughs> were there others in your family that can sing like you you know no one no one really no one else really did it um besides my uncle um yeah i guess i was the the oddball out on that i mean my mom put me and both of my sisters into piano lessons so we all had you know that um but i i i had a really great piano teacher and then she moved towns and then i ended up getting another piano teacher and i could not stand her and so the, <laughs> i would go to piano lessons every week i mean it took for seven or eight years but i just oh, she just mean she was mean <laughs> I, I think she's still around too. <laughs> I don't care. Ruining other, <laughs> yeah, ruining other people's lives. Every now and then, I would like get a song that I liked in my songbook, and I would sit at home and practice it. But mostly, I would just kind of make up my own thing. And you know, we weren't supposed to be doing that. We were supposed to be learning the, the books. Was Bob? Did so? Did Bobby Fisher uh, try to have a solo career? Did he travel and play and sing, or did was he just? Um, cooped up writing songs as, I as think, a career. I think he was mostly cooped up writing songs, although I know in the very beginning, um, in his early life, he hitchhiked to all of the connected states with this guitar that I ended up with. Um, it's a 1956 uh, Gibson. It's a smaller bodied one and real light, pretty wood. Found it up in my grandmother's house. It was like the neck was kind of snapped. You're like, but I knew it. I was like just starting to kind of, you know, really learn about guitars. I was like 18 years old or something. And I was like, this is a Gibson. This is vintage. Like this, I just hit the jackpot. So I like brought it out and sweet talked my grandma into giving it to me. She's like, if you want to get it fixed. So I worked really, really hard waiting tables. And I went up to Cotton Music in Hillsborough Village and um, finally got it fixed, and I, and I play it. But from what I understand, he hitchhiked to every connecting state in the, in the U.S. with this guitar. And I know he did, you know, maybe have, like, one record or something, but I think his dream was mostly to write for other people because um, he already had kids by the time he moved here, and um, his wife just, like, went to nursing school and, uh, you know, he was after that mailbox money and got it. Yeah. Good for yeah. him. It's awesome. Not as much of that coming in these days. <laughs> when did you split? Um, I left home when I was 18 and I, you know, my parents like really wanted me to go to college. And so I did. Um, I didn't really go to my classes, but <laughs> I was there and I, you know, got by. But I dropped out uh, when I was 20 and came to Nashville. I had a cousin who was here as well. And uh, By then you had a few songs? Yeah, I had some songs for sure. And it, so you're going to make it in Nashville? I mean, I guess that's that was what I plan? was after. Like, I don't know, yeah. you know. I, knew, I just knew that I didn't want to work in an office and that I like to sing and I like to perform. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I was chasing after something intangible. And it was always country music you listened to? Or was it pretty varied? It was everything, yeah. It was kind I of mean, the 90s, I guess, right, when you came here? Or was it a little... Um, it would have been 2000s. Yeah, like 2002, three. It was like the, around when I kind of started, like, coming down to, to visit and then moved officially in spring of 2003 dropped out of college had you been to nashville before spent any time here yeah i came here for my spring break and um got trashed and hung out with, with uh, a lot of cool people and so i decided to make the move it was kind of like a it, there was kind of dark days in nashville for me like 
like the end of Keith Whitley and Randy Travis for me that those were like the last two really true country stars. Yeah. And yeah. and then it turned to to bubblegum for a long time it feels Man, like. For real. And they it, even brought like rap into country. That, oh yeah. It's it stayed hideous. too. Is it's that like, still it's around? It's not really like a thing that should necessarily happen unless it's like Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues. Yeah. So that that's not pop country or uh no, Keith Whitley, man, what a what a sad story and like what a great writer. I never go around mirrors. His version of that is like that whole album of classic country that he did so, just stays it's, he had, in my truck all the time. Yeah, he had such a great ear for songs. Who was inspiring you when you got here? Was there anyone in the scene that made it clear you could do it on your own terms or was it no, definitely not. I think yeah. at that point, I I did not want to be a country singer because I was looking at like, I think that's like right around when like Taylor Swift and like that whole thing was kind of happening. And I didn't see any of myself in what was going on on the radio at that point. But I mean, you know, I loved Johnny Cash and I loved, you know, that, you know, different kind of Nashville thing that had been on years prior. So I think that history was cool to have, but I don't know. I just wanted, I wanted to play rock and roll music back then in my early twenties. I I mean, I was playing a lot of folk songs and I was by myself on my guitar and I loved like, you know, Joan Baez and Joni Mitchell and stuff like that. Really folky blues, you know, Elizabeth Cotton, Skip James. Those were the things I was listening to back then. But then I would like go out to these like open mics and, you know, sign up. It would be like Hall of Fame Lounge. Do you know that that place? Isn't yeah. the best Western there? Yeah. And I would go hang out with these people who are like two to four decades older than me and listen to their songs and, and hang out with them. But I, I didn't, my songs weren't really good enough back then. And I knew that. And so I just was trying to figure out like how to write a song. And at the same time, I thought all my like minor keyed, like folk songs, like it was hard to get people to listen. And I thought it would be better if I had a band behind me to make it loud so people, so I could drown out the talking at least, you know? And you had a few bands, right? Yeah, yeah. I um, I actually started as a drummer in this band. It was called River Bottom that my husband was in. And Was that when you met him? That was right around the time when I met him, yeah. We were just dating and he, you know, he was writing more songs. He had more friends that played. So I would like go over and play with him because I didn't have too many young friends in town that wanted to jam. Um, and we also started hanging out like on the Belmont campus, but neither my husband or I were going to school there. We were just like partying with those people because they could find drugs and... <laughs> And, you know, they always had, like, amps and things set up, and we'd go over and, and play with them. Um, it was a cool time. I mean, there's, there was not a lot of ambition, like, really going on. It was just, like, a lot of partying and, like, kind of just trying to figure out how to write, I think. Who helped you with that? Or did you just woodshed on your own, figure it out? Did you um, go to people, have ask questions, or you just stayed at it, kept partying? I think I just like did a lot of listening to like, you know, when I would go out because the only gigs that we could get when, we, you know, when I first moved here and when my husband first moved here was just going and signing up for the rounds. So like we'd go to like Douglas Corner or whatever. I mean, we hung out with this guy named Chet O'Keefe who was in a band called um, Applewood Threshold. And they had like, it was totally like, like Bob Dylan, the band Basement Tapes vibe. They had this woman named Susie who was really well connected in the scene that played accordion. Um, they they just had a really cool like feeling band, and so we would like play with them a lot. Like his songs were great. He has a song called Game Bird that is really really good. But I don't know. I don't really know like if he's still playing or like where he's at. Um, but yeah, those you know I just went out and like listened to like what made a song good. Like oh, there's a little bit of humor in that one or like. I don't know how to have things like come back around and, you know, it's just like writing stories in a way. I think the good like country and folk blues songs, you've got to have something that ties it together. Yeah. 
Or just a great theme. I don't know. <laughs> Still trying to figure it out. <laughs> when did you start to get the idea like that you could do it? Um, well, I think the idea was like always in the back of my mind, but it also seemed like an impossibility. Like it's this like raffle, you know, like some people get lucky and some people are talented and nothing ever happens. Like, I mean, I see it even today, you know, I have friends that like write amazing songs, but like the, the suits don't see the market value or, you know what I mean? Um, oh, like, totally. like, yeah, like my friend Chet O'Keefe, who I'm talking about, like he was great. He like opened some shows for like Patty Griffith, like back in the day. And, and my buddy who also played in that band, his name's Steven Knutson. He writes amazing songs. And I even cover some of them sometimes. But he just works at Trader Joe's, you know, like. But stays true. Yeah. And I think that there's something that's so, that's more pure about that than going out and like, you know, chasing the, you know, chasing the dream and, you know, making, you know, the accolades aren't really what's important. I think that there's something that's so beautiful in someone just making art just because they want to, because they like to do it and not for any like monetary gain. You know? they, they have to do it. Yeah. I was so cynical about this town because I, I thought my dad was good and I was too young to kind of, I just, I didn't know the business. Yeah. And I took it personally. Like it, it, it like hurt me that people liked him and I saw him do amazing stuff in front of crowds and there was never a whisper about him. And I just thought, Fuck that place. Yeah. But there was always an undercurrent of very talented and daring artists here. Yeah, so it's, there's unfor- a great, it's unfair to label it as just this commercial. Yeah, crap no, there's town. like it's a great energy and it's it's bigger than like than the pop country and it's bigger. I mean, and the people that like actually have changed this town and like shaped so many people's minds they don't get credit for it until they're like 80 or dead. You know, it's like the tribute they did to like Merle Haggard at like, was it the ACMs or something? It's like Merle would have been rolling over in his grave. They never, you know, really award people that take chances and that, you know, write the greatest songs because they just want to have, I think most of the time they just want to have something that's safe and, you know, but then the the people on the underground are like shaping things, and you know other other people up top they try to bend to be like them, but because they're smaller, nobody even knows, you know. Yeah, and the layman listener can can weed that out. Yeah, you can hear it. So it's like it's uh, it's also ironic, you know, and music and making a living playing music, but like starting with 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 the farm going away, like you were the perfect seedling to do what you're doing, right? Like these hard times fell upon you, nothing you would have wished for. Totally. But it's stacked up to give you um, the tools that you needed to be authentic. Yeah, it's funny how, how that happens. I mean, the whole time, you know, I was floundering. I just kept thinking, why? You know, like, I know I can sing and I know I've got some good songs, but it is, it's just so hard to like break down that giant wall. And it's, you know, I'm still chipping away at it. Like, I think there's still people who, you know, who are bubbling at the surface, but like, don't let them get too big because the things that they're talking about, we don't want that to be played on, you know, commercial radio. People want to, the people in charge want to, keep us complacent and, you know, not challenge us to think. It seems like they've been proven wrong so many times on what the market wants. Yeah. But they stick to that. I know. I th- I really thought that there was, like, this, like, huge change that was going to come. Like, kind of when Chris Stapleton was, like, in there, I'm like, okay, this is, like... You and Chris and Sturgill, I guess, in my opinion, kind of rocked this town and, and brought to the people the real music that's supposed to come from here. Yeah, you know, I think that we've we've proved that people want to hear uh, more than just one thing, you know. And I'm not saying that that folks that are that are doing like the the bubblegum like pop country. I'm not saying there's not a place for that. Like kids got to listen to stuff too, you know. Like, yeah, that's, that's fine if you know. 
if that's what you like, but there's music you can talk over, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of it. When did you write, um, hand of time and what did that feel like when you finished it? That, that song took, it took a little longer than most songs. I feel like, because I wrote the words actually very quickly, but I couldn't find the right, uh, vessel for them it's a really unique simple melody and i think it all that's what like that's why it it slams you um to hear it it's your life like it that's it's all in there isn't it yeah it is i i was sitting down in my basement my old house and uh just sat it just and i just wrote it but i actually when i first was playing it it was like in a much faster like tempo with a totally different melody and I could not get it right. And I knew that the words were good, but it just like the the frame wasn't doing it justice. Yeah, I don't know how you came up with that um, that cadence and that melody and that song. Well, I, had, I sat down at the piano and like, so my, the, the tiny bit that I paid attention in class like paid off, you know, I can still just play the chords with three fingers basically everywhere. I can't do anything fancy, but something about the way that the piano is set up, it's different than the guitar, you know, because you move differently on, to the notes. I mean, with the guitar, you know, it's just all different formations. So I finally had that and I was so excited and I called my husband down and I was like, I wrote this song. I, and you know, I was getting ready to go in and record my album and it was the last song that like I wrote. It was the last one on the yeah, album? Yeah. And it's, oh, so cool. it's like, if somebody would have like got me in the studio earlier, then it wouldn't even have turned out like that because I probably wouldn't have been feeling that shitty to write that song and to, you know, have it be there. But he came down and he was like, I don't know if that key change works on the chorus. And it like broke my heart because him and I are like brutally honest with each other, you know? And I, but that, at that point I was like, no, it's good. Like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) And I kept playing it over and over and he's like, okay, it makes sense. You're right. It makes sense. And then um, of course, when the band got a hold of it and like they put the drum and bass intro at the beginning, made it so different, you know, because me just playing it on a guitar or on a piano is, you know, it, it's a good song, but like they gave it dimension and, and they really, um, treat it. They, they gave, they put a lot of love into it, you know. Take your mom some wine. That, that line really it hurts so bad. I, I can walk around and hear stuff all the time. And I wasn't meant to be a musician when I finally figured that out. It was <laughs> a relief, right? But, uh, I'm a hell of a critic. Yeah. And I've been around some 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 very real artists who in fact I don't think we even wanted to make it, you know, but uh I could always pick apart those lines that just strike you. And and if you think about like like where not being able to afford a bottle of wine and making it just brings back just those basic um things that you enjoy in this life, just like just the, just the, the basics, sit around with the family, not have so much stress and be able to have dinner and drink a glass of wine, enjoy each other's company. No, for sure. Just I mean, getting back to ground level. Yeah. It's hard to be a disappointment to your family too. You know, it was like, I just wanted them to know that I wasn't like pissing off. I mean, they'd like given me the opportunity to like go to college and, you know, they were can pay for it. And So it was like, why would you not go to school? Like we have said your whole life, you know, like education is very important. And while I agree with that, I also have always had a problem with authority. (laughs) And, you know, I think that a lot of our education system in America is a scam and it drives people into debt and then they get out and they can't find a job. Like Dylan said, 20 years of school and they put you on the day shift. Like, But it it was hard to go home and for everyone back home, all my friends and my aunts and uncles and, you know, people, oh, so you're still trying to do the music thing. How's that going? And the, and the sarcasm. And then to like see it flip, like once everything started going well, like, man, they come out of the woodwork. <laughs> so everyone's still back home? Oh, there's a lot of people that are still there. I mean. Your mom and dad? Uh, yeah. I mean, their house is, is still there. Um, my mom spends a lot of time nannying for me 
So she kind of lives on the road with us and then a lot at the house too because awesome. I can't be there. Yeah. But um yeah, it's still there. My um my grandma is still there in the house that they moved to after the farm was gone and she's a tough old lady though. She's still push mows her lawn and she takes care of people that are way way younger than her. She's just she's She's a tough old lady. That's awesome. (laughs) Now I'm getting a full picture of where you come from. Yeah. What was the progression into like the the success you have now? What was that feeling? I think so many people dream about the the route that you took and staying true and writing songs from your heart. It definitely you know felt rewarding to to get there, but um, then when you get there, you're like, well, this is. This is kind of scary. Now everybody's watching and everybody's like yelling things at me online. And, you know, it's... Um, yelling stuff like like what? Like mean stuff? Uh, I think, at the, yeah, at the beginning, like when I did SNL, um, I had ne- I'd like never been like internet bullied before, you know? And that was like, there were people that said things that like made me made me really upset. But after that, now it's like I just brush it off and I have yeah, way thicker it? skin. Yeah, yeah, don't read the comments, man. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think all in all, obviously it has been so great not to go like put on that apron and, and wait tables for 14 hours, you know, working doubles and going and standing in line to get my government cheese, you know, when I, when we when we had our kid because, I mean, we were dirt poor, you know. We couldn't pay to keep the heat on sometimes. Um, It's cold up here. I know, it does get cold. That was like more before we had a kid, you know. It was, we were really living in um, (laughs) kind of squalor, you know, just like find any place you could rent out for like five to seven hundred bucks. And me and my husband just like, you know, at the time we were just dating and he was a cook and I was a waitress. So we would just pool all of our money together for bills and then we would like live off my tips for the week. And you did some construction? You were siding houses and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really great at painting houses, actually. That was one of my, one of my skills. Um, yeah, I did roofing and siding. Um, I worked at a hotel serving the continental breakfast and get up at four in the morning and making biscuits and gravy. <laughs> um, yeah, we worked a lot of odd jobs. I taught dance to children for a very long time, which was actually very rewarding. And, um, you know, that, that wasn't, that wasn't bad, but it wasn't as much money as waiting tables. What are the pitfalls of the success you've achieved? Um, I think, you know, sometimes it's kind of lonely. I, I just work a lot, so I don't have as much time to see friends. I don't get to spend as much time with my kid as I want, you know? You're on the road a lot? Yeah. Endless? On the road a lot. (laughs) But I do, I mean, I love, I love traveling and I always have. And so I make, you know, I really make the best of it. And if I'm ever feeling down you know, before a show, it never fails. When I get on stage and I start start singing, I f- immediately feel happy. Um, so, yeah. Is writing harder now that you've made it? Uh, some days it is, some days it isn't. There's, you know, I think deciding like what songs I'm going to publicly share and like what songs I may be going to hold on to till later, um, that can be a little tricky. Um, just because I don't want to get pigeonholed as like, oh, it's, you're going to get pigeonholed anyway, because any way you do it. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah people want to classify you and they want to put you, you know, in, uh, I haven't thought about that with you. That's interesting. I good. I'm so glad. Yeah, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't thought, it. I, I just think of you as someone that's bringing country music back to what it's supposed to be. Thanks. But like, are you in Americana? Is that? like low ceiling put over you or not really? Are you, you're you know, a, you're I, a country star from what I gather. 
I, I think it's it's funny because like both of those labels, while you know they're they're fine, I I don't know how I, how I feel about either of them because I've sang so many types of music, you know, and I I love rock and roll and I love the blues and I love soul music and and folk and country and and all those things and you know even gospel, but. Uh, yeah, Americana is a weird word because it's so broad and it's a blanket statement. And uh, I definitely don't want it to be some kind of like glass ceiling, you know, for me. But I, I think at this point, you know, it was what I've what I've put out and that people have heard has been my country stuff. And so I'm not accepted into the mainstream country world because of, you know, maybe my lyrics or I don't I don't I don't know. Why necessarily? I couldn't tell you, but I don't, I don't care are, are either. Are trying to take, <laughs> take the sad out of it? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I never, I don't listen to that type of music, so I don't, but I, you know, when I do hear it, I know that that's not what I'm doing. But also with Americana, it's like, well, that's that's a fine, you know, establishment and, and whatever to be in. But I think there are still even limitations there, you know, um, and I, I don't know, um, with what I'm doing next, I'm curious to see, um, where that will land me. Are you going to spring some of your other inspiration on us? Some gospel or um, rhythm and blues? Well, I've already recorded one album that I'm, I'm kind of planning on saving because I don't think it's where I want to move next, but, um, I'm getting ready to go into the studio in December here. And um, it, I'm, it's definitely gonna gonna be different. It will still be rooted. It, it will never be um, like vapid pop music, <laughs> you know. Like I can't see it overly like electronic. But I mean, it'll it'll be different. I I don't know. I don't know too many people that that are doing it right now. So I don't know. It could it could totally flop, or it could start a new trend. We'll <laughs> we'll see. What's your process when you write? Like it, it's, um, it's so daunting to oh me. Oh my gosh! I know. I, I'm just not a prolific writer, but I, I just unexpectedly I might get a little hook, and then I would start, and then just God damn it, you know? Oh, I know. I it's think like, it's like torture to me. I mean, I can I can compose a really nice email. I can write a really good letter. I can dream up things like stories I think are interesting, but the hard work of of really making it good you know it's taking taking a thought and making it good it takes so much concentration and so much focus and i feel like i forever i'm i am my own worst critic you know what i mean i i'm never satisfied with anything and that can be a really useful tool and it can also be bad because i have a lot of like starts of songs and then i'll like you know, I'll be like, ah, oh, it's not good enough. But really what, I th- what I've been trying to do more lately is like finish everything, just finish it and try to make it as good as you can just for the exercise of focusing and, and finishing it. But um, my husband and I, we co-write a lot together and it's v- so easy for me to write with him. And I think because, you know, he's written so much on my last two albums too. He co-wrote a lot of the songs and... And he also has his own like solo material, but I think much, you know, like your dad, it's it's the just certain people like they're so talented and they're so great, but like it's just so hard for people to break through. And it is a lot of it does have to do with luck and timing, and you know. So with him, I think you know writing is like almost like all that he has. And so when I see him like pouring himself into it, it's it's not only like a challenge for me because I'm really competitive, <laughs> but it's also just like, you know, we're doing it all the time. So it, I don't know. It, I never get like out of practice with it. Like I don't understand how people will like write an album and then like wait two years and be like, oh, it's time to write another album now. Like I'm constantly writing. So that way I never come up like no material. Like I probably have 
for albums and material with like old stuff that people haven't heard oh, cool. or like, you know what I mean? I think there, I yeah. could get by for a while if like the well dried up, but that's so scary. That I is, I was never just going to say like hitting a wall yeah. and, and having all that momentum behind you and you're looking forward and, and you, you just well, say, God, I'm, I'm done. I have nothing yeah. else to give. I think if you're reading all the time, if you're like still going out to shows, you're seeing other people play, you're hearing, you know, trying to find all the good new music. Um, you know, just staying inspired and like, yeah, films, other other types of art that can inspire you. Yeah, you're like, just kind of trained yourself to be open to that inspiration whenever it yeah. comes and grab like it. You, you know, like you were saying, like you'll get a line. Like I'm always like listening in conversation or like even just looking around anywhere like for something that could be a song. <laughs> what was it like to like meet some of your heroes Oh, what did Dolly Parton tell you when you first met her? Well, no, I haven't met Dolly. Oh, yet. you haven't? No, I thought you were in a project I've, with her and Emmy Lou and uh, who else am I thinking about? Well, okay, I sang with Emmy Lou. Um, I've sang with her several times over the past few years, and she is like a fairy godmother. <laughs> she's amazing. She gives great advice, and she's so kind. And I, I just love to like ask her about you know like stories from back in the day and um yeah i'm always like asking about specifics what did what did you mean when you were talking about you know guy clark being upset at you on this live recording she's like wow how do you remember that? <laughs> um and loretta i've you know been been close with her and her family um tomorrow actually i'm going to um her album release at Ernest Hub. Um, but Dolly, I have not got to meet What yet. time is that going to be? Um, see, and I, I don't know if it's been announced or like what the deal is. Okay, it's at 6 p.m. Oh, bummer. So we got to go to Atlanta. Some, I'd love to oh, see that. Oh, man, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm. Dolly tweeted at me. But that's as close as I've got. She, she shared my version of 9 to 5. So... That's amazing. It's good like, enough when, for when me. When do you stop pinching yourself and, just, and and realize that you're in there? You're part of them Man, now. I really don't ever stop that because I, I think I just spent so much time as an underdog that it kind of, it's, it's enjoy still, it forever. It I want in. you to enjoy it. Yeah, forever. but I'm like I'm such a pessimist that I'm like, well, any moment it could tables could turn and I could you know, be back, at, at a restaurant on my feet. I mean. Mm. I don't know. Not a chance. All right. <laughs> You're marching on. I promise you that. Thanks. How do you deal with the, with the sadness in your life? Is it just through the music? Has that been um, super healing for you to write these songs? It, it has. And, you know, I, I should, you know, continue to, to use that as therapy. Um, but I also don't want to just like just sing about myself because there's so many things like that are going on in the world right now that are messed up, you know. But I, what you know, scares you and all that? What what parts uh, of the world, the modern world, are? Man, everything seems so daunting right now. <laughs> I, you know, I think the the separation of immigrants with their children that is it's just so wrong and I don't know how to fix any of it you know um there's a there's a lot of things and women's rights and um that you know we really still shouldn't have to be fighting for um but you know I've I've definitely dealt with my depression and um and things in that area I don't always deal with it in a healthy way you know i I um yeah, you know, it's easy it's easy to lean on uh lean on things that aren't quite as healthy, but try, I'm trying. As a parent, right? It's just super yeah. scary. I know. I get, it really is. Like moments where I feel like kind of claustrophobic. I remember being a kid and getting trapped under a bed by my friends. I couldn't turn my head. That that just Yeah, it, it is total that feeling. panic feeling. Yeah, um, and I don't know how I shake it other than just my brain not being able to deal with it and just make it go away. Yeah, but I, I don't know what to do either. 
I think a lot of people don't, you know, and it's it's a bad feeling to, to feel helpless and to have your child ask you questions that you can't answer. I mean, they've, there's always been questions we can't answer. I think things have always, there's always been like a darkness in the world. And, you know, I, I guess I try to uh, stay positive by thinking that like, it's, it's just got to be there because that's just the way life is. And there's, there's not the light without the darkness and all the Buddhist, you know, <laughs> things you can, you can think. But I don't know, I, I go back and forth with it all. Um, Has it occurred to you that you're, you're doing a lot? You know, through your songs, I I don't think it always does, but um, I you know I hope that that it does, and I I think I have a lot of work left to do in this life. I you know I hope I hope I get to be around and I think for you, it, it, it's clear that that's how you help the most, right? When it, definitely when I when I talk to fans at like you know meet and greets and stuff like that, like. Um, a lot of times after shows, I'll do like a signing or something and talk to people. And that is most rewarding. You know, when somebody says like this song helped me through my mother's death or like this song, you know, helped me through my divorce or those moments, I always get choked up. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to make me cry. <laughs> That's uh, that in and of itself, like the um, the feedback from people who've been affected by music, I think it, that helped me the most with 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 my dad and and the decisions he made and how he was with the people he loved. Yeah, um, it really helped me to start hearing from people. And at first, I was like, you know, someone would say a song had saved their marriage or kept them from killing themselves. And I, I was like, well, you know, in my mind, I, I, I was never um, anything but gracious to people. Because it's, oh, yeah. it's always been, it, it's not like some, some celebrity spotting right. that I'm dealing with. It's not like this, this super uh, superficial just fascination with a famous person. It's really a, a strong connection to someone when they say, Oh man, your dad, his music has really helped me in my life. It's a, it's I as mean, powerful as it gets. And I, I and know. every time someone would say that to me, I would stack on a little more forgiveness for him and yeah. the way he was. Well, I um, can testify to that right now. I mean, I listened to so much of your dad. I mean, especially in my early years and dealing with depression. And you know, it's, I I think you know, knowing like what he went through and like him being open about it, it made it easier because I think people hide depression so much and and that's what makes it feel really lonely because, you know, you, you're already there by yourself and then you're like, it's this like social stigma, like you're not really meant to talk about it. But if you can put on a record and, you know, listen to those things and like get past the dark moment, then you're right. It does help. And, and, and you do it in such a beautiful, soft way, which is really cool. Um, I've listened to that album a bunch of times. And it's, Thank you. It's really great. I think a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the newer stuff I've been writing too, I think, and I, I've tried to do this, which is like, Maybe play something that's like incredibly depressive lyrics, but like to a happier melody. <laughs> and you like kind of trick, trick people. Into them, yeah. yeah. You're like, you're going to listen to this and like you're going to laugh about it, but like it's dark as hell. <laughs> Do you have the ability to make that intentional? Like, like, so for you, the is it always different? Sometimes the words are first, sometimes you get a melody. I, it is always different. You know, sometimes I'll sit down and like lately I've been filled with more melodies than words, but I also like don't feel a great pressure to write because I know that I I already have most of what I want to record for my next album. Um, but yeah, it's 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 funny how how songs come about. They're 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 mysterious, you know. They appear one day. It's amazing <laughs> you're so far out in front, like four albums. Is I mean, is there a chance well, you get to that third one and you go, wow, this is all three or four years old. I don't even like it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking like it'll probably be like songs that I'll record when I'm like 70 or 80. or You know what I mean? Like I, I'd say like two albums of, of strong material, the one that we already recorded um, 
and it, it's good. I just, I don't, it's not the direction I want to go. Um, it's actually a psychedelic gospel record. It's about taking acid and seeing all religions. <laughs> we did it with um, some some players in town, a different band than my own, and uh, we recorded it. But I'm, I'm just not. I don't want to. I don't want to put that out yet. Um, but the songs are good, and there's, um, you know, it's it's a different thing than I've done before. But I think yeah, a lot of the songs, it's like oh, they're good songs. But I'm like I'm like actually pitching them to some different people right now, um, and like I'm writing for some other people, which can sometimes seem easier, you know, like if, if it's the right person. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever go to Guy's house when he was around? Man, I, I almost got over there to write with him through a mutual friend that my drummer knew. And this guy was actually staying in our house. He was from Australia and he stayed with us for like two months and he was writing with Guy and they never got a song out of it. They, they drank a lot of scotch together from what I heard. Um, but man, I wish I could have got over there. I was in England when I heard that he passed and I was just so heartbroken because I was supposed to go over there and, and at least just talk with him and, you know, shoot the shit. Yeah. I, I built a guitar with him down there. Did you? Yeah. Oh man, how incredible. Yeah. He was, um, I think he was, he was really intimidating, super cantankerous and smoothy yeah. and stuff, but he was always open to that collaboration. He loved to write with people. Yeah. That's so it seemed cool. like a really cool Nashville thing to do if if you're unlike me and you can actually write a song <laughs> to go over there and do that. Because I'd be yeah. sitting down there sometimes and we we wouldn't have much to say. I, I was just there because it, it it was the closest thing left to, to yeah. the feeling I grew up with, you know. Yeah. And it, if you treat yourself like that, man, there's no escape from it. Yeah. It's it's a uh, you know, you're still in your prime um, it's true. and you could heal from it. Right. But if you take it too far down at some point, like walking a mile in the morning, is not going to make a difference. Your yeah. body's going to be sick. Right. Yeah, and totally. to see him and Susanna sort of coasting downward, it was painful, but I, I just had to be there for a lot of it. You know, yeah. um, now how he talked about your father in his book was, all, it was so beautiful. He had such respect for your dad's writing and I love how he kind of like measured everything like by, you know, Towns' yeah, standards. he did. He beat himself up about it, which was unfair because Towns felt the same way about him. I know. See, I do that a lot too, where it's like, I, you know, I, th I think that where that's what like, makes I, people I wish I could good, do that. Though. And they say, yeah. are you kidding? I wish I could do it. Like right, right. But I think, I, I think that that's what keeps people like pushing themselves to not just be average. And there's so many people out there who just settle for average. And, you know, people just tell them that they're geniuses when they're just okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> the worst thing you could hear. Yeah. It, 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 it does help having the door slammed on you a few times, yeah. you know. I think there's, like, nothing worse. Like, if something's just going to be, like, shallow, like, music and it knows that it is, like, that's fine. But I think there's nothing, like, more dangerous than something that's bad and that's, like, pretending to have a message or like people like think that it's deep, like that bothers me more than anything. I don't know why. I, I would rather just, just listen to like. We're already not doing enough to combat like the powers in place. Yeah. And and when people convince themselves that they're, you know, really struggling and down and out, but they're not comparatively, it's not helpful. Yeah. Emmy Lou said something to me a long time ago that was, I think it was some article that she'd read and it was like why country music was going extinct. And it was because people don't, um, just don't live, they just don't get handed like, you know, a bad deal as much as you used to. And, and I mean, obviously there are people that are out there that are like still struggling, but like she was that. like, she's like, because, you know, conditions have like got better. <laughs> like, what, you know, what are you going to write about when you're like living in the suburbs, like with your really nice, like, car and you're you know i don't know so uh, yeah, that's so, how you grow up which is like i don't know i think like once you've had the blues even if you become successful and, and gain a happy life you can always visit that yeah that that chest of emotions it's and not draw too from far it. away that's yeah. for damn sure yeah. it, it kind of travels with you doesn't it yeah yeah what's uh what kind of bullshit do you have to deal with in the business now that you're <laughs> hot 
Um, what parts surprised you in that you were just like, oh my God, this is not what I wanted to be doing? Man, uh, um, yeah, I just like, I hate airports. <laughs> You're not a, flying private yet? Such a, <laughs> hell no. I don't even have my like TSA pre-check. <laughs> I got to take my shoes off every time. Um, but that's such a like first world problem. I, I don't know. I think. Um, is it a drag being recognized when you're not in the mood to deal with it? Sometimes it is. Yeah. I mean, most of the time I'll just like, I'll take a picture and I'll talk to anybody. I am like, I'll talk all day if, <laughs> if somebody lets me. But um, some, some people are not fun to deal with for sure. Like if. Um, I don't know. I guess it just all depends on the attitude of like the person that comes up to me. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. At times, like I feel like, you know, if I feel like people are watching, like, and I can't be myself, like that kind of sucks. But I don't know. I still don't really think about getting noticed, and so I'll go out like looking, like I mean, I just rolled out of bed, haven't brushed my hair, like wearing terrible clothes and all in my glasses I have I wear contacts most of the time but and my husband he always laughs because he's like you think that no one's going to recognize you when you like just don't do your hair and makeup he's like but they definitely do <laughs> and then I end up like yeah, regretting it later but um I don't know I would maybe say like the worst thing is just like when the press like doesn't understand what you're trying to say and then being like misquoted, that that probably drives me more nuts than anything. You go back and read that stuff? I don't read all of it, but like my mom, she's like really proud of me, so she sends me she's a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, cutting everything out. And that's <laughs> she's awesome. Like, Have you seen this article yet? And I'm like, that's the most beautiful part of it all. I'm yeah, so glad they got to see she's you. She's proud. Reach this level. It's amazing. Yeah, my. Uh, it makes up for all this shit that happened to you guys back home. It yeah, it does, and I think you know, like my grandma getting to come to the to the Grand Old Opry, like that was that was cool. Super cool. Um, How about Willie? You buddies with yeah. Willie? Yeah, I am. How's that? It's so fun. He's such a good guy. I saw him um, this past weekend at Farm Aid, and we swapped some jokes on the bus. And um, tell me, Willie, I don't, know, Willie I don't know if any of them are appropriate. Okay. They're pretty dirty. <laughs> I can tell you though, whatever. Tell me one yeah, from Willie. Yeah, see. Um, <laughs> well, okay, I'll go start with a clean one. Hear about the man who walked up the street. Wait, you hear about that? Okay, I fucked it up. You can edit this, right? We'll take it out. We'll make sure you're happy with the delivery. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you hear about the magician who walked up the street, turned into a drugstore. <laughs> uh, what was the other one? Okay, this one. This one's a little dirty. Um, do you hear about the man who was in love with his proctologist? Yeah, he, he, he went in and he saw the doctor and... Um, you know, doctor started checking everything out because the guy's saying he doesn't feel good. And um, so the doctor, you know, he takes his gloves off and he says, well, this is just crazy. I just found 12 long stem roses up your rectum. And he said, yeah, but what, what about the card? Did you find the card? <laughs> Did you read it? <laughs> so good. He just, you know, he got called out by... Um, the conservatives were back in Beto O'Rourke in oh, Texas. Oh, no, It's so ridiculous. And I love his response to all of it. He, oh, sa yeah. he said, uh, I'm not happy till they're not happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, what a great quote. Who could not know that Willie Nelson yeah. leans left? I mean, it's pretty mind-blowing. And people say, oh, you know, he didn't, um, he didn't. He's never really had political songs. Well, it's like, no, that's not true. God's Problem Child, his, um, the record he put out before the Sinatra covers that he just put out, it definitely had, you know, it talked about the election. It said the election's all over, nobody won. You know, like he supported Hillary Clinton. So did Merle Haggard. There's, I just saw the most amazing photo, and it's like Hillary Clinton with her arm around Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson. You know, like it's... It is crazy that people don't know. It's like, okay, he smokes a ton of pot. Do you think he's Republican? I haven't contemplated life without him. And, and 
in my view, that's when shit gets really bad. Like right now, yeah, I constantly think to myself that we still have him. Yeah. And he's doing good. Bob Dylan too, man. Yeah. yeah. That dude's on the road all the time. It is crazy. I mean, he's like never 280 quits. days I or something. I think he just his his uh, wife Annie was just talking about. I think he like wrote a song about the whole like Beto thing. And it's like he, I mean, he's just he's so prolific, you know. Just keeps going and like talk about somebody who's not been changed by success or fame. Like he's nice. He's a nice guy, and he and he will talk to anybody, you know. Like nobody nobody's a stranger to him. And, just incredibly like down to earth. So important folks. to the world that we're in and the music we like to to have him still with us. Agreed. What's beyond um, the music for you? What what do you like to do when you're not writing and playing and traveling? Um, I like to be outside a lot. I like to fish. Hey, you're and, talking to the right guy. Yeah. I love to go fishing. I, I missed love... a couple times to take you out on the river when you were in Austin, I think. Yeah, I, I'm coming back to Austin in November, but it probably isn't the best fishing weather in November. I don't know. It can be. I'm actually down on the coast. Any chance you're going nice. like south? Or um, it be like Austin, Houston, Dallas? I think it's something bumping around like that, but we just announced a couple more. I'll have to look because I would, I would love to do some fishing. Touch base with Yeti and see if they can get us on the river yeah. when we get down there. I would love to. I actually went fishing with Yeti um, at one point, and I, I caught the biggest fish of the day. A bass, was, or where were you guys? It was a, it was a bass, yeah. It was a Guadalupe bass, I oh, think. Oh, okay, in Texas. Right? I, think, I think so. Who were you with? Was it Alvin, I was with, who, who all was I out with? It was Alvin, yeah. Cool. Alvin, no, but there was like several other fishermen that day. But Alvin, black guy with dreadlocks? He was out... Is he rowing your boat? Whose boat we were on. It could have been Alvin's. He 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 kept rolling joints for me. Oh, okay, not Alvin. <laughs> okay, yeah, it was somebody else. <laughs> That's awesome. So do you live in the country up here or do you live in town? Yeah, I I had been living um, you know, in all different apartments, duplexes and houses all over Nashville for the past um 13, 14 years. We lived in Sylvan Park, Sylvan Heights, off of Charlotte Avenue, um, over in East Nashville, and in Inglewood. And um, I lived in a house in Inglewood for about eight years, but I just moved out and I moved up to White's Creek. It's uh, north of town. Okay. And I've got five acres and some chickens and mission accomplished. Yeah. I mean, it feels great to be out there. I feel like my heart rate, my like blood pressure, my health is like just so much better. When I come home, I'm like in a better mood because there's space to go outside. Like I take walks every day in the in the creek and just in the on the property there. Awesome. I actually found a moonshine still up on the, the top of our land. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's an inspiration for a song. Yeah, it used to be like a big moonshine area, I guess. So, Are you um, in Tennessee because you need to be, or do you love it here? I, I love it here. I mean, you know, I've moved away so many times. Um, so, I mean, we sold everything we owned. We had a yard sale, and we... I mean, I just... I was done with the town, just like you were saying. You know, I was like, I can't make any headway. I'm not doing anything here that anybody else is doing. I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I was part of a scene like back then. This was probably mm, nine, ten years ago. So we sold everything. We had a yard sale and we bought a Winnebago. And I was just like, I'm just going to live in trailer parks for the rest of my life and uh, travel that way. But um, I've just got pulled back here every single time and I think it was just like part of my stubbornness like I'm not gonna let this fucking city beat me and I'm so I'm glad that I came back now and it is like my whole band lives here and all the businesses here yeah I mean we get together we like we play together still you know like we practice and like work up new stuff so as much as and I, I still have my house in East Nashville I think I'm getting ready to sell it um 
I don't quite know what I'll do. I mean, I've like entertained the idea of like buying a house in Texas or in California so I could have something out West, but I also probably should just like pay off this other house I just bought. I don't know. (laughs) It's hard to be responsible. (laughs) That's awesome. I don't know what it was for me here. I guess I've just got a lot of ghosts in this town. I just uh, yeah, where are you? And at I'm a Texas, Texas boy uh, down on the coast in Rockport. In Rockport, nice. And the sun's out every day, and it's super hot. And there's cactus and, and yeah, and Mexican food. And I know. Don't remind I feel me. Lost without. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we look outside. It just feels like kind of the Seattle of the South. Doesn't this it? has been so great. This has been a really gray um, year. Yeah. It's just woven into my memories of hard times here with my dad yeah. coming up here and it just being misty and just wanting to see the clouds break. And they, oh, I know. I know it's sunny and beautiful here. Yeah, sometimes, it, it does get but, nice. But yeah. it just seems to always close up on me. Yeah, I think the the winter months are like especially hard here because of like where, where we sit on it's like down the time in the zone valley and too. So yeah. yeah, it just gets dark quick. Oh man, my my new house is like definitely in a in a valley, you know. And, it's in the hills, so it gets dark. It's not as hot in the summer, though. <laughs> yeah. Look at the positives. Is it, it's cool up in the hills where you are? Yeah, I think, you know, compared to Nashville, it's like 5 to 10 degrees cooler up there. And I didn't have too many mosquitoes this year, so <laughs> that's oh, man. one good thing. The mosquitoes back home right now are, like, it's it's insane. Oh, man. Do you like mosquitoes? Oh, hell no. No, like, my, my wife like literally swells up from one bite. And yeah, there's that's how I am. Your too. windshield and your, like, you can't get out of the car. It's, yeah. It's, it's amazing. See, I don't want to hear that because I'm like, I want to move to Hill Country. I, yeah. I do like love it out there. My, um, there's none up there. Yeah, that's there's true. There's none up there. This is all coastal and it's just real swampy. Yeah. And we got like 20 inches of rain a couple weeks ago. Yep. Um, and it's just super bad, but I'll take it. I love it down there. Yeah. Yeah, my my husband's um, birth mother lives in San Antonio, well, outside of San Antonio in Canyon Lake. Okay. She's got horse and, you know, some land and it's... It's right by one of my favorite bars, The Devil's Backbone. Mm-hmm. I've been, been up there. I sure have. Cool. Yeah. So we we make sure to go spend time out there whenever we're traveling through, too. Well, I look forward to seeing you down there yeah, on your next sure. round. We'll have it's to really hang. great to meet you. I'm proud of you. Hey, I'm happy thank you. for you. It was great to talk with you. I'm glad you were able to kind of knock the darkness down and get this work done. Me too. And find I'll the keep, light. I'll keep, keep knocking it away. Appreciate it, Marga. Thanks. Good, Good to thank talk to you. you. Thanks again for listening to Drifting, presented by Yeti and hosted by me, JT Van Zandt. To listen to more episodes, visit yeti.com or search Drifting on iTunes.